This week, uh, Pastor Wiley is out in Connecticut welcoming the new daughter, granddaughter. Um, can somebody help me out with a name? Does anybody remember? Katarina? Katarina. Okay, very good. So um, Chris and Marla will be back um, back next uh, next Lord's Day. We have with, with us this morning, um, uh, Reverend Seth, Seth Miller. Uh, Seth and I met uh, while he was serving as an associate minister in McKinney, Texas. Um, and at, um, uh, remind me that... Uh, Redeemer, yes, Redeemer McKinney. Um, so um, Seth is a graduate of uh, of RTS Dallas, uh, and before that went to Moody. Did you go to Moody Chicago or Moody Spokane. Moody Spokane? That's right. There's a Spokane uh, 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 seminary there, and. Um, we're really, uh, really pleased that Seth uh, had an uneventful uh, reception at Presbytery this this past uh, Presbytery meeting and is now received into the Pacific Northwest Presbytery Church planting in Post Falls, Idaho. And uh, this is a church plant uh, sponsored by uh, Coram Deo, the Spokane uh, church plant, but um, but uh, on the Idaho uh, side of the line. And we're really glad to have have Seth in in uh, the Pacific Northwest Presbytery. Seth is going to be with us for Sunday school, um, uh, morning service, and evening service. So please welcome Seth. All right. Well, good morning, everyone. Is my mic on? All right. Very good. Well, the assumption is, is if you're younger, you know technology. And uh, as you can tell, uh, that assumption is not always correct because uh, I, I do not know technology. Thankfully, I'm a Presbyterian, so I don't really need to know technology to uh, be able to uh, minister to people. But uh, I'm, I'm grateful to be here uh, with you all. My wife Zoe is there in the back. Um, I met Candid, as he said, a, a few years ago at Redeemer. He visited and uh, it was just really encouraging to me because I heard a man from Pacific, the Pacific Northwest Presbytery that was normal. And it surprised me because I had heard uh, all kinds of horror stories and uh, uh, but uh, Camden is uh, a, a great friend to me, and I'm, I'm thankful for this opportunity to come uh, before you and present and preach to you as well. Um, a little bit, a little bit about me. I'm from Lewiston, Idaho, originally. I grew up there. Um, my parents uh, are, were faithful Christians, but we kind of moved around churches quite a bit uh, while I was uh, growing up, and we were in and out of. Uh, various Baptist churches and um, uh, not much church health uh, in in Lewiston specifically, um, not a lot of uh, solid gospel preaching churches. And so, um, but my parents were very faithful to raise me in the faith and and um, taught me uh, the doctrines of the scriptures. And and so I was sent off to Moody Bible Institute in Spokane, Washington, where I became reformed. Uh, which is not uh, the typical story with Moody, as it is a uh, dispensational school. But I had one professor who was uh, kind of a closet Presbyterian, and he uh, just really pushed me in the direction of the Reformed faith. And so I found myself with Pado-Baptist convictions. I found myself loving the Westminster Confession of Faith. And so I went to RTS in Dallas, and I've been uh, down in Dallas for the last five years. Uh, serving there at Redeemer Presbyterian Church as an assistant pastor. Um, and so uh, now 
About a week from now, uh, Zoe and I will be moving back to Idaho to plant a church in the Post Falls, Coeur d'Alene region, and we're excited about that. A little bit about Zoe. Um, Zoe is a missionary kid. Her parents were, a mission, or still are, missionaries in Uganda. And uh, so she's used to moving around because we've only been married for seven months. She moved from Colorado to Texas, and then I told her, okay, we're moving to Idaho now. And she's uh, very gracious with that. Uh, she's a uh, journalist for World Magazine and a uh, podcaster on the side, if you're familiar with Presby Girls. Uh, that's what Zoe does. But um, let's go ahead and uh, jump right in here. What I want to do in our time this morning is uh, kind of take you through a, a few different uh, texts that relate to church planning, especially we want to look at uh, Christ's program for church planning. What does Jesus say about the church? Uh, what is the church designed to be? What's the mission of the church? I think these are important questions that we should ask and relate to church planning. And then, of course, we want to look at the book of Acts as kind of that history manual for church planning. And then we'll get into more of the specifics of what does it mean to plant a church as Presbyterians? What's the theology and polity that uh, supports our church planning endeavors? And then uh, look more specifically, of course, at the PCA. And then uh, we'll talk about the work up in North Idaho. So let's uh, jump into uh, Christ's program uh, for the church. I think one of the most fundamental questions that the PCA is asking right now, uh, what is the mission of the church? Uh, what is the church supposed to do in this world? Um, and that's a fundamental question. That's a question that Christians have asked uh, every age, but um, it's a question that is specifically relevant to the PCA because you have seen different kinds of models of ministry uh, that have in some ways been just the church exists for unbelievers, uh, an attractional model, uh, trying to win the culture over, bringing them in. Uh, and so uh, many churches have built their um, whole ministry on that idea. Some other uh, churches you can think of, you know, mainline traditions, the church exists for uh, the betterment of this world, making this world a better place. And so we should really spend our resources and efforts on social justice, on um, different charities and, and mercy ministries. And so uh, these are, you know, in some cases, good aspirations, not in all cases. But um, certainly we want to ask, what did Christ intend for the church to be? Uh, what did he desire for it to look like? And I think, you know, the most important text you can go to, which uh, certainly is not unfamiliar to you, is the Great Commission. Uh, this is that defining text for the church where Jesus says to his disciples, go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Um, I think it's a pretty clear directive that Christ is giving to the church here in the Great Commission. Make disciples of all nations, baptize them, and teach them. Very simple, uh, yet it's interesting how we want to take that commission and make the church about something that has nothing to do with that. Um, it's, it's fascinating how simple of a directive this is, and yet how much we try to avoid it. Uh, but 
This is what Christ passed down to the apostles and what he's passed down to us. The mission of the church is to make disciples, to baptize them, and to teach them uh, in the faith. And there are uh, various ways that this takes place, but its main medium for the Great Commission to actually be accomplished is through the church. Because if you just ask the question, well, uh, is this given to believers or is it given to all Christians? How is this actually applied? Well, think about uh, how, how are people being baptized or what are people being baptized into? Of course, it's into the name of the triune God, but it's also we're baptized into the church. Uh, and so there's a preeminence placed upon the life and ministry of the church. You think about where does that teaching ministry uh, happen? Uh, where is the, the most fundamental and, and primary w- way that that teaching ministry occurs, and that's in the church. And then, of course, you're given uh, that great promise from Christ. Not only are we commanded to do these things, to baptize, to teach, to make disciples, uh, but he gives us that promise that, lo, I am with you until the end of the age. Uh, He's given that to his church, uh, that the church of Christ has the presence of Christ. Um, And, of course, this text is often looked at as a missionary text. Uh, This is kind of an impulse that we are to go out and make disciples of all nations, that kind of going and sending idea. And I think that's, uh, you know, one very accurate way to understand this. But uh, we should understand that the goal of missions is to plant churches. Uh, So you don't want to send someone off to Africa to play soccer with a bunch of kids, maybe have a few gospel conversations and come back to the States and think that he's done a good job. Uh, That's not our mission. It's not to just go and have fun in other countries. Um, The job or the the goal, of course, would be to see a gospel preaching church planted, established in that region. Um, that, That mission has not been accomplished until there's a church where this maturing ministry can take place, the discipling ministry can take place, where uh, disciples are taught uh, in the faith. And so um, I think one other uh, thing that might relate to this, uh, especially with church planting, is that um, there's an attitude that exists, especially if you talk that, well, we want to plant a church in this region. Uh, You can hear from people that will say, well, why do we need another church? Uh, why does Post Falls, Idaho need another church? Aren't there a bunch of churches up there already? Um, and and you know, I understand the sentiment behind that attitude, but um, what, it, what it fails to recognize is that uh, not every church, not the quantity of churches in a region means that there's healthy, faithful, gospel-preaching churches. Um, it's not uh, something that's a given that just because there's a hundred churches in a region, that those churches are faithful to the Great Commission. They're faithful to the mandate that Christ has set down for his church. Um, And and if you just look at the demographics and the numbers, I was talking to uh, Patrick Severson, who's a pastor up in Liberty Bay, uh, at Liberty Bay Presbyterian Church in Polsbo. And and he was telling me that uh, for, and I, I don't, quite fully understand what the statistics were telling me in this, but he said for the, basically the small little town of, of 12,004, um, every single person to go to church uh, in that town, all of the existing churches would need to be able to hold 1,000 people. And uh, so uh, there's 
I mean, just based on that math, there's 12 churches there, and, and all of those churches would have to hold 1,000 people. And, and that's just un, unrealistic, of course. Um, but, uh, you know, most of these churches hold 100 or 150 people. And so there's a need for planting more churches so that uh, there's room for people to uh, come to church and, and be ministered by the Word and, and the Spirit of God. Um, and so there's, there's room for us to uh, carry about this, this effort with uh, church planting, and it comes right from the Great Commission. Uh, one other text I'll direct you to from Christ's program for church planting. Uh, of course, this is the great uh, confession of, of Peter here in Matthew 16, where uh, Jesus asks, he says to them, uh, but to who do you say that I am? Uh, Simon Peter replied, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus answered him, blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood have not, has not revealed this to you, but my father who is in heaven. And I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Uh, here's another great promise that Christ is giving specifically to the church, that the gates of hell will not prevail against his church. And I think uh, one of the most wonderful things about the church in general is that it is the only institution on this planet that is given a promise like this. It's the only institution that has Christ's assurance that this institution will prevail um, until the end of the age and hell cannot hold back uh, its power and its strength. Um, and I think this is uh, something that uh, really should have us uh, uh, renew our love and appreciation for the church uh, because uh, it's the church that will outlast and outlive every other institution. It's really the only uh, organization that will exist for all eternity. And, and so we should be investing our resources into the church. Um, this is something that will outlast uh, everything else. And so uh, when it comes to church planning, I, I think uh, we want to see uh, churches planted and established and ministering for generations to come. Uh, that's the kind of goal and, and dream of church planning is that uh, here's a region that's destitute of a gospel preaching, reformed, confessional congregation. Let's plant one there and let's see how that will minister to God's people and to that local community for ages to come. Uh, and that's the blessing and benefit uh, of church planning. It's seeing a, a work started, established, and it outlives uh, many of the other institutions around. Okay, let us um, now talk about uh, the apostolic pattern for church planning. Um, obviously, the book of Acts, you see churches be planted. Uh, you see, really, I mean, of course, from Acts 2 on, there is no, or before Acts 2, there's, there's no churches all throughout Asia Minor, even in Jerusalem. And uh, how did the, the gospel get carried out into all the nations? How did Christ's command be fulfilled by the disciples? Well, they preached the gospel and they planted uh, churches. It was a, a simple pattern. You could follow Paul's life. You can uh, see what Peter's ministry is all about, where they preach the gospel either uh, on the streets or in the synagogues. Uh, they have converts and they establish a church. Uh, not much more to it than that. And then even you see in some cases where that church is without local leadership. 
and uh, Paul comes along and establishes that later on. So um, let's look at a foundational text in Acts uh, 2.42, where th this is what the first church of Jerusalem looked like, the first Presbyterian church of, of Jerusalem. Uh, it says that they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. Uh, again, simple ministry here, uh, nothing uh, fancy. They're uh, just focusing on the preaching of the Word of God, the fellowship of the saints, the breaking of bread and the prayers. This is all, uh, I'm sure, quite familiar to you all. But, uh, of course, the apostles didn't need ch church multiplication manuals uh, to carry out their work. Uh, they didn't need uh, any kind of uh, book that uh, oftentimes in our modern age that we find so necessary uh, to be able to carry out the work of the ministry. Uh, all they needed uh, were these things, teaching, fellowship, breaking of bread, and the prayers. Um, Sinclair Ferguson had an uh, interesting thing to say about Acts 2.42. He was talking about, uh, you might be familiar with the Acts 29 network, and um, he had no criticism for them, but he, he was uh, speaking about kind of the whole mindset about being an Acts 29 church, carrying on the, the Great Commission, carrying on that apostolic tradition uh, by planting churches and, and uh, being faithful to the Word of God. But uh, Ferguson said that if you're ever to be an Acts 29 church, you have to first be an Acts 2.42 church. Um, because if you're really going to carry on the work of the apostles, you need to devote yourself to the things that the apostles and the early Christians uh, cared about the most. And then you come to Acts uh, 14, and I'm just giving a sample of some texts where you see uh, churches planted. Um, here's Paul. Uh, when they had preached the gospel to, the, to that city and had made many disciples, uh, they returned to Lystra and to Iconium, and to Antioch, strengthening the souls of the disciples, encouraging them to continue in the faith, and saying that through many tribulations we must enter the kingdom of God. And when they had appointed elders for them in every church with prayer and fasting, they committed them to the Lord in whom they had believed. Uh, so here's a simple pattern. Uh, they preach the gospel in the city, they make disciples, and then they go back through those existing regions where there's disciples and, and strengthening the souls of them, encouraging them. And then you see that kind of final movement. They're appointing elders in every church. And that's the task of, of church planning. We'll get into more of the specifics of what that looks like uh, here in a few moments. But um, that work really isn't done when you're planting a church until there's local leadership. Uh, you don't want to feel too comfortable if, if there's just believers gathering together in an area where um, the main way that Christ is ministering through to his church through uh, word and sacrament, if there's no uh, leadership that, that govern that, that protect that, that provide for the congregation, that that work is not yet complete. And so you see Paul uh, going around appointing elders uh, for every uh, church. And of course, Antioch functioned as, in a lot of ways, as that sending church for Paul's missionary journeys. And so here you see a, a church get planted, and then now they're helping other churches get planted. It's that kind of multiplication uh, they're taking from the Great Commission. And then uh, possibly my uh, favorite 
a story in Paul's ministry is uh, the gospel's effect in Ephesus. And uh, you might be familiar with that story that Paul comes in and you, he finds all kinds of different people um, teaching strange things, uh, believing strange things, that they hadn't received the Holy Spirit yet. And uh, there was a kind of general ignorance in the region. And then uh, he sets up shop and, and teaches for two years in the hall of, of the tyrant is really what it's called, the hall of Tyrannus. And uh, you see this ministry just expand and overflow into all of Asia Minor um, uh, to the effect that people are burning their magic books and this is creating a riot in the town uh, as a response of the simple ministry of the word. Uh, so let me uh, read this just little snippet of a section of Paul's ministry there. It says that he entered the synagogue and for three months spoke boldly, reasoning and persuading them about the kingdom of God. Uh, but when some became stubborn and continued in unbelief, speaking evil of the way before the congregation, he withdrew from them and took the disciples with him, reasoning daily in the hall of Tyrannus. Uh, this continued for two years so that all the residents of Asia heard the word of the Lord, both Jews and Greeks. I mean, just think about how uh, remarkable of a comment that Luke is uh, adding here. He's saying uh, that this ministry of Paul uh, continued for two years so that all the residents of Asia heard the word of the Lord, both Jews and Greeks. Think about the, the power of that ministry. Think about the, uh, the spreading effect of the gospel in all of Asia Minor, not just Ephesus, that uh, people were hearing about uh, Jesus Christ that had never heard of him before. And uh, if you have an ESV, it'll have a little footnote when it's talking about uh, Paul reasoning in the hall of, uh, of Tyrannus. And it, it says, uh, as kind of an editorial comment, that uh, this was going on from uh, 9 a.m. till 3 p.m., so six hours a day. Um, and if, if that is uh, really what is true, think about how much teaching that Paul did. Six hours a day for two years. Uh, think about what kind of effect and impact that would have. You know, something that's, I think, lost in the Reformed faith that we have kind of forgotten from ages of old, that John Calvin uh, preached almost four times a week in his church, uh, that John Knox uh, would have preached at least three times a week, that it wasn't uncommon in the Scottish uh, Presbyterian church at the time uh, for there to be three sermons on Sunday and many more sermons during the week. Uh, and yet, uh, in most Reformed churches today, it's, it's unlikely that you get more than one sermon a week. Uh, but here you have Paul uh, perhaps preaching six hours a day for two years, and you see the, the power and the effect of that ministry. It's kind of Martin Luther's uh, sentiment when he says, you know, I did nothing. The Word did it all. Uh, I simply let the word out and it did the work of the ministry. Uh, so that's the gospel in Ephesus. Uh, now let's look more uh, specifically at uh, the Presbyterian practice of uh, church planting. How does our theology and polity impact um, how we, we plant churches? And, and the first thing I want to say is that as Presbyterians, it should be the easiest for us to plant churches. Uh, we don't have to be innovative, and we don't have to be creative. Um, of course, uh, we shouldn't be boring, uh, but uh, we don't have to pay attention to all of the, the newest trends in, 
in cultural contextualization. Uh, that doesn't have to matter to us in the same way it does matter to other um, communions. And we don't have to be personality driven. Uh, that's, that's our ethos of, of ministry as uh, Presbyterians. All you need uh, to plant a church as a Presbyterian is a Bible, uh, bread, wine, a little bit of water. You don't even need that much water to plant a PCA church. And then just some people. Uh, that's all you need. Uh, so it really should be uh, quite simple and, and easy for us. And, you know, oftentimes we like to... Uh, I kind of trip over ourselves. Um, you know, I have a friend uh, who was asking another friend who planted a, a church recently, um, what were the resources that you found especially helpful to you in planting this church? What kind of, you know, church planting guides or manuals did you read? And all he did was just send a link and it was like some PCA website. And so I click on it. I'm like, okay, what is this? And it, it was just a link to the Westminster Standards. Um, that's all he found as, uh, as necessary to really plant a, a church. Uh, so uh, let us uh, jump into, first of all, the, the Presbyterian view of the church, uh, which is really no different than what we read in, in Matthew 28. Uh, Westminster Confession of Faith 25.3, Unto this Catholic invisible church, Christ hath given the ministry, oracles, and ordinances of God, for the gathering and perfecting of the saints in this life to the end of the world and doth by his own presence and spirit according to his promise make them effectual thereunto. So what is the church to be? It's be that place of gathering and perfecting. Uh, reaching out to the lost, bringing them in, converting uh, unbelievers to faith in Jesus Christ and then that maturing uh, ministry that happens through the ministry, the oracles, and the ordinances of God. And so, uh, of course, that uh, the way that that works out is through the ordinary means of grace, uh, which you saw highlighted there even in uh, Westminster Confession 25. Uh, but what are the outward and ordinary means whereby Christ communicateth to us the benefits of redemption? Uh, the outward and ordinary means whereby Christ communicateth to us the benefits of redemption are his ordinances, especially the word, sacraments, and prayer, all of which are made effectual to the elect for salvation. And so how is that converting or that gathering work to be done? Well, it's done through the word. Uh, how is that perfecting work to be done? Well, it's to be done through the word, prayer, and sacraments. Uh, that's all that we need. That's all that we really have to offer as the church of Jesus Christ are the things that he has given to us to be those means of grace which are made effectual to salvation for the elect. Uh, let's look now more specifically, how does the PCA uh, do this? And this will look more, uh, well, really less at the theology, more at the polity side of it. How, how, what's the mechanism by which uh, we plant churches in the PCA? Uh, what's kind of our strategy for planting uh, churches? Well, I know you all love the BCO in this room. Um, I know you have a copy that you read before bed. And so you are very familiar with this passage here. Uh, that you'll find very inspirational. But uh, here is uh, kind of the defining mark of what it means to be a mission church. Uh, so you have particular churches, which Westminster would be one with a local system of government. And then you have mission churches, which uh, have a, a different system of government, a temporary system of government. Um, and so let me read this and I'll talk a little bit about it. 
But a mission church may be properly described in the same manner as the particular church is described in BCO 4-1. It is distinguished from a particular church in that it has no permanent governing body and thus must be governed or supervised by others. However, it is its goal is to mature and be organized as a particular church as soon as this can be done. And here's our favorite phrase as Presbyterians, Presbyterians decently and in good order. Um, so there's really, so I'll maybe just explain how Emmanuel Presbyterian Church up in Northern Idaho, uh, their system of government, our system of government is not local. So it's not people from within the congregation. So over the next few years, there'll be you know, training, identifying, looking for local leadership, because that's the goal of a mission church is to get that local leadership in place. Uh, but as of right now, uh, there's a commission from the presbytery. So the presbytery commissions a set number of men uh, to serve as the session of that church. Um, and there's a couple different ways that you can do it as well. You can also have a, uh, a mother church. Uh, so say Westminster, Vancouver plants a church in Camas. Uh, Westminster's session here could serve as a session of that PCA church in Camas if they wanted to. Um, and so that's another option if it's a mother-daughter relationship in planting. Uh, one other way that you can actually have a leadership governance of the church is by appointing an evangelist. Now, this uh, doesn't really occur too much anymore, uh, but what the presbytery can decide to do is they can appoint a man, so it would be someone like me that's going to be the planter, and he is the system of government. But if you're a good Presbyterian, you're a little allergic to that because you really just have a little mini episcopacy in a church. Uh, you have uh, a little bishop over that church, and so that doesn't tend to work well. Um, it's only in cases extraordinary where you can't get any kind of system of government from the presbytery or a mother church. And the reason why it's not used too much today is because you can have Zoom session meetings. So if you plant in the middle of Idaho like I am, uh, you don't really have too many PCA churches around, well, you can still meet with people uh, the session uh, through a Zoom meeting. Uh, and so uh, here's how mission churches are established in the PCA. This is from BCO 5.2. Uh, ordinarily, mission churches are established by presbyteries within their boundaries, meaning Pacific Northwest, they plant churches as a presbytery in the Pacific Northwest Presbytery, simple enough. Um, and there's uh, ways that this can be done. There's really three ways. Initiatives to which the presbytery may respond in establishing a mission church include, but are not limited to the following. The presbytery establishes a mission church at its own initiative. So presbytery can find a region and say, there's no church there. We really need a gospel preaching church there. We want a PCA church. Let's start one and they can appoint a planter, uh, and that planter can kind of just parachute in, try to gather people and mature them in the church. Another way would be uh, through that mother-daughter relationship. The presbytery responds to the initiative of a session of a particular church. So again, it'd be like Westminster planting a church in uh, Camas. And then uh, thirdly, and this is what IPC is, uh, the Presbytery responds to the petition of an independent gathering of believers who have expressed their desire to become a congregation by submitting to the Presbytery a written request. Uh, so it's kind of got the, uh, 
uh, the undertones of the, the Macedonian call for help, that there's a, a group of believers in a region and they want a Reformed church and yet there is no a Reformed church there. So they can ask the Presbytery, help us make this happen and they can join as a mission church. And so that's what Emmanuel Presbyterian Church has done. They petitioned Pacific Northwest Presbytery. Um, and I think it's a cool way for churches to be established, to be planted, because it has kind of a grassroots uh, from that local region, a desire for it, rather than a presbytery kind of uh, exerting its authority over a region. It's, it's, there's a desire and a want. There's excitement about uh, the Reformed faith, and so uh, they request the presbytery to establish a church. Um, here's a map. It's a little outdated, uh, but this uh, simply just shows... Um, <coughs> all of the different PCA churches in our country. And you can see in, in the Pacific Northwest, there's not a lot of churches. Um, uh, you look at uh, parts of the Midwest, parts of the Mountain West, and there's really no PCA presence. But if you go down to the Southeast and to the East and Northeast even, uh, there's all kinds of Presbyterian churches. And so there's a lot of work to be done. Um, the, one of the, the heads of M&A, which is Mission to North America, uh, as our denomination's kind of home missions, uh, they're, they're saying that their goal right now is to plant uh, 1,000 churches, uh, well, basically to get the PCA up to 3,000 churches in total by 2030. Now, am I right, Zoe? We have, what, 20 or 1,800 churches? 1,900. 1,900. Um, about 1,900 churches, so 1,100 churches planted by 2030. Now, uh, that's an ambitious goal. I have no clue how they're going to accomplish that, uh, but I think it's a good aspiration because uh, they understand that I think over the last two years, the PCA in general has lost more churches than it has gained. Uh, if you look at this presbytery, I think the, tr the same thing would be true, that this presbytery has lost more churches than it has gained. Um, and so there is a need for planting churches, especially in regions that just do not have any access to the PCA in general. But uh, it's not that we're just trying to, uh, you know, kind of shotgun uh, a bunch of churches all throughout the U.S. Uh, I don't think that should be our goal. Our, our goal should be we're planting Presbyterian churches that are confessional, reformed, evangelical, covenantal. Um, as we, as a denomination over the last few years, are trying to clarify our mission, uh, clarify what kind of uh, church we're going to be, I think we've had a lot of good progress in saying that we want to be a more confessional uh, church. And I think that's going to help our, our strategy in planting churches, because if you just look generally at the churches that are thriving right now, it, it tends to be those churches that are far more conservative, uh, that are far more committed to the Reformed faith, that are far more um, desiring of an ordinary means of grace ministry. Um, many of the, the churches that you see planted with kind of a missional focus, really wanting to reach the culture, which is a good desire, uh, but sometimes compromising on key doctrines in order to do that. Um, there's been a, a huge pendulum shift where those churches haven't done well, uh, especially during covid there was a mass exodus of, uh, of people from a lot of those churches, and they have kind of migrated into more uh, conservative uh, evangelical churches. And so, uh, of course, the, the fields are ripe 
the laborers are, are few, um, but I think we should be focused as a denomination on church planning, and that's a good aspiration that the MA is wanting to bring about. Um, now, let's talk a little bit more specifically about um, Emmanuel PCA in northern Idaho. Uh, how many of you have been to Coeur d'Alene or Post Falls before? It's okay. Oh, wow. Did you all escape uh, during 2020 to go to uh, Coeur d'Alene? Um, you can see in the background here that that's the, the building where we are meeting. Uh, it's a building where they have been meeting. Um, it's an old PCUSA church uh, that was converted to a cultural center, which is really just a, a wedding chapel. And they've allowed uh, the core group to meet on Sundays, have the, the building the whole day. And I think it's, it's particularly satisfying to me that we are meeting in a PCUSA building. Um, you might know the story of a lot of PCA churches when they left the PCUSA, uh, they couldn't take their buildings with them. And so they were kind of kicked out and said, no, the Presbytery owns that building. Well, here we are, you know, 50 years after the PCA was formed and we're uh, taking up uh, an old PCUSA uh, building. And, and it just goes to show, you know, Christ's faithfulness to his promise that uh, the church will prevail even if there are churches that have lost their light, they've lost their salt, they've lost their commitment to the gospel. Those churches have now faded away and now new ones are springing up in their place. And so uh, it's just a cool uh, thing to see. Um, it might be a little blurry, but you can see where uh, Coeur d'Alene Post Falls is at. Um, Kootenai County, uh, which includes both of those towns and Rathdrum and uh, some of the northern region. The population is 179,000. Um, uh, Coeur d'Alene was, uh, in 2018, the fastest growing city and the fastest growing state in America. And so when I was a kid, um, you know, which was not that long ago, um, Coeur d'Alene was, it was just a resort town. Uh, there weren't a lot of people that lived up there. There was a lot of just tourism that occurred. But um, it was a small town. I mean, in my perspective, a, a town of 30,000 is a huge town. Um, and that's what Coeur d'Alene was. But um, now it's just, it's blowing up. And, and it's continuing uh, to go that way. It, it has a growth rate of 8.7% a year. Uh, Post Falls will go up another 30,000 in the next five years based on projections. Um, it, it's just wild how, how much this region uh, is booming. Many of it, of course, is due to politics on this side of the state, I'm sorry to say. Uh, you keep sending people our way <laughs> as escapees and refugees, but um, I'm glad you guys are still here, sticking it out, being faithful. Um, but this is an older map, so it doesn't show um, Spokane, just right across the border, and then Spokane Valley. There's two PCA churches there now. Um, but, you know, this whole region is, is well over half a million people, and uh, there's plenty of room for more PCA churches. And um, something that we're already talking about uh, is once we get to kind of critical mass size, we'd like to plant a church up north because we have a lot of people um, in the Spirit Lake, Rathdrum area where uh, there could absolutely be another PCA church up there and all the growth and 
um, the building that is going up north, and so it's good to have a forward-looking perspective. Uh, here are some pictures of uh, the area if you're not familiar. Um, you know, that top left, it might look beautiful to you, but that's my enemy. I, <laughs> I do not like the cold. Even though I grew up in Idaho, I love Texas, and uh, I'll miss, you know, the 130-degree summers. Um, you can kind of get a picture. It's a, it's a beautiful town just set right in the mountains. Uh, uh, you got the floating green at the Coeur d'Alene Resort Golf Course, if you guys are, are any of you are golfers here. Um, when it was announced at uh, my church, Redeemer, uh, that Zoe and I were moving to uh, Coeur d'Alene to plant a church, and uh, one of the old uh, church members there uh, emailed me later that day, and he said, you know, I, I, was, I was so disappointed to hear that you're leaving, uh, but I was at least encouraged knowing that you were going to go to a place where you would, you know, suffer for the gospel. But here you are going to Coeur d'Alene, Idaho. He's like, this is a place that even I would vacation. Um, this is no suffering for Jesus. And, uh, well, to me, it's that upper left corner that is the suffering aspect. But... Um, if you guys know Aaron Wren, he uh, tweeted out recently that Coeur d'Alene is the nicest conservative city in America. Uh, and there's some truth to that. It's, uh, it's a beautiful place. Um, and so if you're interested in coming over the, during the summers, we'd love to have you out there at Emmanuel. Um, here's just uh, what we're about at IPC. Um, uh, IPC currently has about 60 core members. Uh, to start off with. And so, um, you know, when I had heard about this, this core group, I really wasn't interested in taking a call. Um, my dream and aspiration was to get back up to Idaho and plant a PCA church. Um, but I saw that as something maybe 10, 15 years down the road. And I was just talking to one of the other pastors at my church and he said, dude, you got a church in a box just ready to be planted here like you'd be a fool to just pass up on this because it's all the work's been done they found a meeting place uh they've gathered together uh, a decent sized group um they're clear about what they want to be uh this is perfect and i was like you're right all right i'll do it um but uh, uh many of them have been uh, as far as the core group goes many of them have been driving about an hour to quorum deo in spokane and about five years ago, there was discussion that they would plant a church in North Idaho. And uh, so there was many that were excited, looking forward to that. But uh, that vision really didn't take place. Uh, they kind of got slowed down, bogged down by some uh, transitions at the church. And, um, but in 2020, uh, Coram Deo actually had to drive out to uh, the Jacklin Center to meet as a congregation so that they could actually meet in person and not have to worry about all the mandates and everything. And so um, they went out there for several months and were meeting in Idaho. And so this really kind of exacerbated the desire for a church plant in Idaho as they saw what that could look like. Um, and uh, here's just some of their commitments. These are my commitments. Uh, when we first started uh, discussing, when I was talking to the search committee with the core group about uh, what kind of church they wanted to be and what kind of pastor I am, um, everything just lined up perfectly for us because um, there are all kinds of different PCA churches in this denomination. Um, you have those that are, like I said earlier, that are much more of the missional bent 
that focus a lot more on contextualization. You have more that are focused on doctrine. Uh, you have more that are focused on um, revivalism and, and different things like that. And um, so you never know uh, when you visit a PCA church what kind of church you're going to walk into. It's, there's a lot of difference and variation uh, among the churches. And, um, uh, but my desire and my goal is that uh, IPC would look like a Presbyterian church. Um, that didn't sound like anything too crazy, but um, that is in some ways novel in our denomination at times. Uh, it's getting much better though. Um, and what I mean by we look like a Presbyterian church is that if you walked into John Knox's church 500 years ago, or you walked into Charles Hodge's church 200 years ago, or you walked into IPC today, uh, would those churches look generally the same? Of course, different time periods, different, um, you know, just outlooks on life. Of course, there's going to be some differences, but as far as the liturgy, as far as the kind of spirit of the congregation, is there a similar similarity there? Uh, is there a commitment to that same kind of core regulative principle of worship, the confession, a love and appreciation for Reformed theology, for the preaching of the gospel, uh, for the doctrine of the covenants, how um, we are covenantal. And so we uh, understand that the family is uh, one of the main ways that God ministers to people and he uh, builds his church. Uh, those are the things that uh, you want to see uh, kind of being the through line uh, throughout uh, not just history, but also our denomination as a whole. And, um, you know, a primary thing that that or way that, that that plays out is through the ordinary means of grace, just a simple commitment, faithfulness to the preaching of the word, uh, to the sacraments, uh, to prayer. Um, and of course, uh, something that'll make us peculiar, but we would share with you guys is that we would want to have uh, morning and evening worship uh, I think in the PCA right now, there's 12.3% of churches that have evening services, uh, which um, isn't that strange or foreign to us now, but uh, if you went back a century or two, that would be a um, kind of a revolutionary concept, a, a church that only has a morning service. Um, now, we don't want to get proud about that. We don't want to say that we're, you know, more faithful and we're, we're you know true presbyterians and we, so we beat up everybody that doesn't have a second service because there might be reasons why uh, but i think especially if you go back to what uh, we were just looking at with paul in ephesus that teaching ministry of the word um, that we don't necessarily have to preach longer sermons but i think we should have more sermons uh, in the life of a congregation and so uh, what better way to do that is to have a consecration for the lord's day uh, to delight in the Lord's day, to, to keep it holy by uh, public exercises of worship, as the catechism says, uh, at both morning and evening. And so that's something we're excited about. I don't know, Camden, how many churches in the Pacific Northwest have evening service? Is it four or five? Okay, so it's, it's rare. Well, um, hoping that that has a positive impact on our presbytery here. And then of course, local and global missions. Um, uh, we want to be a, a church planning church plant. Um, you know, that's it's something that we want to, to start strategizing even now of looking to where, okay, where can we plant more churches? 
Uh, where could we see the gospel proclaimed? And then where, when we have a focus on, on reaching people in the community of being a faithful witness to the gospel. Um, and then, of course, globally, we want to uh, support churches because uh, you don't want to get so insular that uh, you're just focused on doctrine. And Reformed people can do that at times, that we're just so focused on doctrine, we don't have any kind of out, outreach wing of the church. And then lastly, uh, you know, this something that should go without saying, but um, it's something that you have to actually strive for, is that we want to have a joyful congregational life. Uh, we want to have... Uh, the church be a place where people want to be, um, that people genuinely enjoy each other, that they uh, love fellowship and they love coming together and, and having that uh, community and, and all things that attend to that. Um, Charles Spurgeon said that the church is the dearest place on earth. Uh, and that's what we want it to be for our people. We want it to be a dear place to them that they can come and, and faithfully have the word ministered into their souls, have the sacraments uh, feeding them, nourishing them, strengthening them, and then uh, encouragement from brothers and sisters in the faith that they can uh, continue to grow. And uh, oftentimes churches can be places where we just backbite, where we have division, um, where we complain as you see of uh, the people of Israel of old, uh, but that's not what we want. We want to share in the joy of our salvation. Uh, so that's our commitments. Um, you know, just briefly, how to support us, especially in prayer. Um, uh, these are just things that we're committed to and we wanna see God do in our church and this church plant. Uh, unity around the word and prayer that we would be as a new congregation focused on the main things. Um, it tends to happen in church plants and new churches where uh, people see things that are up for grabs of, of what the church can be and they might have their kind of uh, hobby horse issue and they really want to see the church be uh, focused on that. Well, uh, sometimes that brings in competing visions of what the church should be. So um, please uh, pray for us that we'll have unity around those uh, simple things of word and prayer. Um, of course, that God would add to our numbers uh, new members excited about the Reformed faith. Um, you know, that we would love to see people that, you know, don't have access to a, a PCA church see that, oh, there's one in the region. And here's a church that teaches the Reformed faith. We're excited about that. We've never had that. Um, that's a lot of ways of which uh, my parents are kind of in that position, that they, they're thinking about driving two hours to uh, come up there just because uh, they're excited about uh, the Reformed faith. And then, of course, conversions among unbelievers. Uh, sadly, uh, most PCA growth is just transfer growth. That's not a bad thing, uh, but we want to continue seeing uh, unbelievers come to Christ. That's the ministry of the church. And then, uh, just as uh, we were talking about earlier, we want qualified leaders in the church that God would give uh, to Emmanuel uh, elders and deacons who are sound in the faith, sound in their doctrine, uh, sound in their lifestyle, that they can be uh, shepherds of the church for ages to come. And then just briefly about our uh, financial status. Our goal is to raise about $225,000 over, over three years. Um, we're more focused on the first two years because those will be the most difficult years to survive uh, and to thrive. Um, and we're, we're currently at about 62% of our goal. Um, Lord's been very kind and faithful to provide for us, but we do have a, a way 
ways to go. And so uh, if you're interested in giving, you can visit, of course, manualpca.org or just reach out to me. We'd appreciate any kind of support and especially your prayers because uh, you know that the, the gates of hell will try to uh, hold this church back from uh, thriving and, and, and preaching the good news to that community. And so uh, we need your prayers and your support. Uh, I'll just finish it there and open it up to any questions you guys might have. Yep. When do you plan on particularizing? When do I plan on particularizing? Um, or is there a plan? There's not a, a concrete plan, uh, just because I, I've not been really up there ministering, so I don't know the people that well. But I've kind of just seen already from a, a steering committee and a search committee, just guys that really do appear to be qualified for office. And so it could be quick. Um, but we'll just allow the Lord to kind of test that out. One more question. The yeah. steering committee, is it being overseen by another congregation like you were talking about? or? Yeah, so it's a commission from the Presbyterian. So there's four or five guys that will serve as the temporary session. On the steering committee? No, no, from the Presbyterian. Oh, I see. Yeah, yeah. Okay. So, so the Presbyterian. So the steering committee has people in the congregation. Yeah, yeah, and they're basically disbanding now because they've done the work up to this point. Good questions. Any other ones? How many attendees on a typical Sunday? Uh, anywhere from, I mean, I've seen 60 to 80. Um, so 60 is really the core group there that are committed, faithful. And then there's about 20 that have just been waiting on a pastor coming up there. Um, and so once I get up there, presumably they'll they'll start attending the church more regularly. Yep. Why don't they just read the Bible? Why don't they converse with friends? Um, because I came up here, I walked up here a mile for two months up in the back. And I didn't have a car. I didn't know anybody because I hadn't gone to church for a long time. But this church is wonderful. Mm -hmm. I mean, I was nasty. I swore. I yeah. <laughs> did everything wrong. Yeah. But I had been raised in the typical Presbyterian church. My family took me there every single time. My dad was running a motel, restaurant, and gift shop at the time. And that's over in Hazeldale, and it's still open. Go ahead. Yeah, but you're right. We should just focus on reading the Bible, praying, preaching it. Yep, that's good. Yeah. So what's your timeline for moving out? What does that look like? So um, next Sunday is our last Sunday at Redeemer. And then the next day, we'll be driving up to Idaho, basically. So <laughs> it's, uh, it's all coming down to, a wire, to the wire here. And, um, but we got... Everything in place, hopefully, to move, and yeah, very good. All right, let's close in prayer. Heavenly Father, we do thank you for the gift of your church, uh, that it is uh, through your church that we find uh, the Savior proclaimed and we find Jesus Christ ruling over it. Uh, Lord, we do pray that you would uh, 
continue to grow healthy churches and faithful churches in this region here in uh, the Vancouver and Battleground that you would uh, provide uh, more and more churches that faithfully proclaim the gospel. And uh, Lord, we desire this uh, ultimately all throughout the world that you would um, bring your kingdom and, and empower your ministers to proclaim the good news of Jesus Christ. And we pray this in his name. Amen. All right. Thank you, guys.